Hey there, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. It is Monday, December 20th. Hi. Hello to everybody who's watching us right now, whether it's on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, in the corner of our website. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the show. We are here every weekday from 1 to 2, talking football, 1 o'clock Eastern. Please uh, remember to subscribe to the show on your platform of choice and give us a nice review so more people can find our shows, especially uh, if you are listening to this after the fact as a podcast. Uh, as always on Monday, Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports is my guest. Hello, Ian. Hello, Aaron. Thanks for having me. How was the weekend? It was controversial. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Get, have, so between Thursday and Saturday. Well, I've been on Monday. Twitter so much just trying to explain things to people. And uh, it's um, I'm kind of tired of the discourse, but let's explain things to people about some of these weekend games. And... Uh, yeah, we're actually start with what is not the most controversial game of the week, but maybe should be, which is last night's Saints-Buccaneers game, where the Saints defense just dominated Tom Brady all night and scared Bruce Arians into, like, never, ever, ever letting Tom Brady drive fourth down. Yeah, not really surprising from Arians. He's 16th in our edge sports coach rankings, but he's 29th in CCI, which is that fourth down decision-making metric. Would not be surprised to see him tumble down to potentially last uh, in this one coming after this weekend. Tomlin, uh, who's been last or one of the worst in fourth down decision-making, Pete Carroll hasn't played yet. Uh, but really the coaches below him haven't been horrible this week, at least not as bad as he was. So these are going to be... No, Tom, you know, Tomlin's mistakes were not taking time out. That's a totally different kind of mistake. Correct. And we've got some questions on things to kind of run and look at those. Haven't gotten a chance to, to look at that. Like you said, pretty controversial. A lot of stuff been happening. Uh, so that's one I haven't gotten a chance to look at yet, but it is on on the agenda. But Arians yeah, did not have a good one. There's, there's going to be some probably some controversy around this, especially the one that we have for New Orleans, for Dennis Allen. Uh, that was our top error of the week. But Arians had a handful of them that were fourth and twos. He had the fourth worst call of the week that was in the third quarter. All of these were is still in a 6 nothing game. Fourth and two on his own, 33, uh, early in the third quarter. Then just about three minutes later, fourth and two on his own, 30. A couple of punts, even without um, Chris Godwin. I think even Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette were all out of the game at this point, uh, midway through the third quarter. Um, we obviously can't account for that in game as the model, you know, is going, the model doesn't know that. Um, and we don't typically, as you know, Aaron, adjust for receivers or running backs. You know, this would be one game if it was pre-game. Yeah, usually we adjust Maybe for quarterbacks. Um, when you're missing, you know, top two wide receivers and running back there, if they're all out next week, there could be some slight adjustment, but the quarterback's the most important. And when you've got Tom Brady, you've still got Gronk. You've still got a guy like Ronald Jones who has had his share of drops and ha struggles. Um, is still a, a, a pretty good running back. And then guys like Tyler Johnson that have stepped up. It seems like we've always seen guys with Brady, no matter who it is. When you've got fourth and twos and you've got to pretty much manufacture scoring opportunities like Tampa Bay needed to do last night, those are the situations where you've just got to make the decision to go for it. Um, even though you're in your own territory, both defenses played pretty well, uh, obviously in a nine to nothing final. Um, so even if you don't get it, you know, New, New Orleans is in long field goal range there. Um, about, you know, late, long 40s, um, 
low 50. So I, we were talking earlier. I honestly forget who is even the kicker in New Orleans now. I know Brian Johnson's gone. Brett Maher. Brett Maher. So has had his share of, of ups and downs, I think. So not really, you know, when you get into that 50 range, not a guarantee, obviously. So there's not no guarantee they're going to be able to make a field goal or even get into the end zone. Um, you just got to take that chance as, as you get later into the game as Tampa Bay was. And then uh, he, he did have one call that was correct that comes out uh, second best of the week. It was the fourth and one at the New Orleans 36. So he's not really afraid to go for it in the opponent's territory, although we don't see it a ton from him. Um, but in this scenario, he typically does with Brady. Got the fourth and one uh, about midway, a little over midway through the third quarter was a 6.7% increase. That was our second best call of the week. We had Dennis Allen filling in for Sean Payton, who pretty much more of the same from the Saints. You know, Payton's been pretty good when it comes to fourth downs until the last couple of years. And then in this one with Allen at the helm uh, calling the shots, they had uh, a second and, or sorry, a, a fourth and two on their own 22. Comes out to our worst call of the week, only a 5%er. We've had this the last couple of weeks where these, these biggest errors really aren't as big as we would normally see in a given week. This one was the start of the fourth quarter. They're up six choosing to punt instead of go for it. Just, again, you've got a guy like Taysom Hill that can run the ball. Um, Alvin Kamara is back. They've still, you know, got some some playmakers. And a fourth and two like that, you've, you've got, again, just manufacturing scoring opportunities in a game like this. And the way that defense was playing, yes, Tampa Bay is in a, a shorter field goal range there. Um, it would end up being, you know, close to a 40-yarder. But still, you're up six if you're able to hold them. You know, that's that's not a bad bad outcome there if you don't, if you don't succeed. So, just a lot of those three all fourth and twos that just coaches still have not come around to. Um, maybe not surprisingly, you know, some coaches have Brandon Staley, who we'll, we'll get to. We've seen that from, from him quite a bit. And then our last decision we'll talk about from this one is our second worst call of the week. A little bit longer, a fourth and six from their own 36 for Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians decides to punt. Again, it's a 6 nothing game. It was 6 nothing for a lot of the this problem game. is that as you get later in the game, these decisions mm-hmm. to punt become worse and worse because the amount of time you have to come back, like the amount of possessions that you'll have in the become less and less. Absolutely. And this one, 12 minutes left, you know, it's a lot of time. Even if you do, you know, you fail, you give up at worst a touchdown, you know, you can, you've still got – probably nine minutes left to get a couple touchdowns. Not ideal, but it's not impossible. Whereas if you punt, they drive down and score a touchdown, you're down uh, 13 points with maybe six or seven minutes left. Um, so you've just, uh, again, I've said it a couple of times, just you've got to manufacture these scoring opportunities in a game like that where there's really not much of it to come by. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. Arians has always been a really conservative coach when it comes to fourth down. So for him to be conservative in this game, and I look, I understand his thinking because not only had he was he missing a lot of his players, mm-hmm. but the Saints were just destroying the Buccaneers. Yep. Um, with their defense, you know, much worse than any model could suggest that they would be. And his feeling was that it would that would continue. And the problem is that if you punt, you know, your offense may not have a very good chance to convert, but if you punt, you're just going to get the ball back later with less time left and still not a very good chance to convert. Like you're still, you know, you're still, so what, like, what's the, the, the hope is that you hold the other team and then they punt it back to you. And then you're back in the same situation that you were already in. So yeah, and what's what's interesting with this last one too, that fourth and six, 
that was actually the one they had a fourth and one. And they sent out, I don't even think they had any intention of going for it. They got stuffed on the third and one and then had uh, the, the fourth and one. I think it was a false start, uh, but they were in punt formation going to punt. That would have been like, I think, a 9% error on its own when I ran it last That's night. That's honestly how we should grade it. We should grade it before the false starts. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that one just, again, it, it, the fourth and six is still a bad one. You know, even after that, you know, a lot of times – you'll hear the broadcaster say, well, after the false start, you know, now they have to punt. It's like, no, they don't. They really shouldn't have in that situation. So not like you said, no surprise to Bruce Arians. And I remember he had the one when he was in Arizona. Um, I think it was when I was interning uh, here about, I guess, four years ago, five years ago, whatever it's been, where he went for it. They didn't get it. I think they lost the game. And, you know, he, he backed it up in the post-game press conference. And the next game, he or the next day on the Monday press conference, he came out and was like, no, actually, you know, I would take it back. I wouldn't go for it again. So, when he does, you know, he got hammered for it and kind of backtracked the next day. So not a surprise mm-hmm. to see him go conservative. Speaking of plays that got screwed up by false starts, let's uh, go back to Saturday night and the Patriots and the Colts. Uh, I've been talking about this one a lot on the social media. Uh, Bill Belichick's field goal trailing 20-7 to that turned a two-score game into a two-score game would originally have been fourth and two, on the Colts two, but on third and two, there was a false start that made third and two into third and seven, and then that became fourth and seven. Yeah, I would imagine even Belichick would have gone forward on that fourth and two, seeing some of his comments uh, today uh, coming out, um, kind of explaining it. Um, but, you know, still they had a fourth and seven. You mentioned you know, they were down 13 points, deciding to kick the field goal. Fourth and goal in the seven was a 3.9% error. Comes out as our third worst of the week. And we got a lot of criticism uh, on Edge Sports on on Twitter on Saturday and even yesterday talking about, you know, people coming at us kind of, you know, being smart asses saying, you know, how many Super Bowls do your metrics have and this and that. It's like, yes, you know, the mind of Bill Belichick, you know, everything that he does, preparation, all that stuff. He's won that many Super Bowls. It has an impact on his team and his coaching maybe. But in a given moment and in this season, just because he has six Super Bowls doesn't mean – that his fourth down decisions are going to be right and that we should always side with his judgment on a it fourth down. It doesn't mean like, he's perfect at everything. Exactly. And no one, no one's perfect there. Even, you know, Brandon Staley, who's number one in our coach rankings, has made some errors this year. Um, but just because you side with a guy because of that, he can still be wrong on fourth downs. And this was one of those that um, – it's funny because so we do see a lot of people coming at us over this, and you said you've been answering the question. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of people that questioned it too. So – this seems to be kind of like the the Thursday night game where there's pretty much an equal amount of people on both sides, it seems. Maybe Thursday night there's more people against Brandon Staley, but this one doesn't seem to be as clear, at least in the the public and, and what people are saying about it. But we we had it as as a go and ended up being, um, said, the third worst decision of the week there. So Belichick 17th in our coach rankings, but only 30th in CCI. And that's that fourth down. So not really a surprise, but just – the, more, the big more thing the I'm guy. having to explain to people on social media is Belichick talked about it this morning and he talked about how he felt that they had enough time to get two more scoring drives with a touchdown and a long field goal to send the game to overtime. And here's the problem. Sending the game to overtime is not the same as winning it in regulation. The goal of a touchdown yeah. here is to then eventually score another touchdown and win the game in regulation. So the decision to kick the field goal 
it, it's not enough for the decision to kick the field goal to be better than the decision to go for a uh, decision to go for it. It has to be twice as good because it has to overwhelm the fact that overtime is a 50 50 proposition. Yep. Right. So now, I mean, they had like a 97% chance of hitting the field goal and we gave them only a 37% chance of converting the fourth and seven. So that sounds like it is twice, but you have to also consider the value of pinning the Colts deep on their own seven for their next drive compared to kicking off to them after a field goal. That matters too. And that's why the win probability analysis ends up having going for it as the better option, even though, you have more than twice as good a chance of kicking the field goal as you do of scoring the touchdown. Yeah, especially you, you made a good point that I was going to bring up is pinning them, you know, at their own seven or saying earlier, if they if they run a play where, you know, based on the play design, they think they can have a guy open and hit him at the two or the three and he can kind of walk in or have a shot at the end zone if you pin them inside the five on a play like that. But also, and this is something, obviously, this is one of those things that will admit the models can't account for is how the game is actually being played in real time. So the, the Colts offense was not really that good. It was not very good in the second half. Carson Wentz, you know, had they, they got the field goal to start the half, but it came off of a uh, an interception by Mac Jones where the Colts got minus three yards on three plays and kicked the field goal. There was a, a missed field goal, a Carson Wentz interception. Like they were not playing well. So it it's like you said to their advantage where if you don't get it, they're still backed up deep in their own territory. And you've got a chance to have a Carson Wentz play where he just throws the ball to someone on the other team and you get a, a pick six or you're set up for a touchdown. Um, those those yes, are things that you have Todd to consider. Singer points out in the uh, discussion. And don't forget, if you're watching the show live, please uh, feel free to make comments and ask questions in the discussion. Um, but, yeah, you have a good chance of a Wentz mistake if you've pinned them deep um, that gets you something good. Uh, let's let's talk about Thursday because God, um, everybody was. Yeah, still are. <laughs> yeah, Thursday, a, another you know game between two guys that are really, I guess, analytically savvy, if you will. Andy Reid is seventh in our coach rankings, is always near the top, uh, especially with that team he's got. Uh, just always is a good decision for him to go for. He ended up having our best decision of the week. Um, also, obviously going against Brandon Staley, number one in our coach rankings, has been aggressive all year in his first year as a head coach out in Los Angeles. Don't think that this outcome and the criticism is going to sway him from staying the same going forward. At least his comments have made it seem that way. And based on the way he's been all year, I don't think he's going to change, which is good. But that mentioned Andy Reid had the best call of the week. It was late in the third quarter. It was the fourth and one on the Chargers two. Decides to go for it. Mahomes has just an awful throw into the ground to a, a wide open. I think it was Michael Hardman out to the left that would have been an easy touchdown. But the decision to go for it increased their win probability by 8.3%. Was the correct call? I don't think anyone's arguing with that call, even though it failed. But all of Staley's calls they want to want to argue with. Staley had multiple really good calls in this one. And we actually agreed with four out of the five fourth downs they went for. The only one we disagreed on was at the end of the half, but it was still very close. It was only half a percent in favor of kicking the field goal versus going for it. And that's that's due to mostly due to the fact that the Chiefs get the ball after halftime. If Los Angeles would have been able to get the ball, um, we might have, have leaned or it would have been more heavily towards the field goal 
because you get. I mean, the biggest issue really here is that if it's the end of the half, you do not get the benefit of pinning the other team deep if you fail. Right. And yes, they're on the one yard line. You know, you're you're that close, but um, still very close. Could have gone either way. It wasn't one of our high confidence errors I've talked about here before, where the it, the model cannot be changed to think that only the field goal is the correct call. It's one of those that could go either way. So close to a toss up, but technically we do have it as an error. But the others, we, we all agreed with. The, he had the fifth best call of the week, which was the fourth and one on the 33. Chose to go for it. They ended up converting. Um, I think they went on to get a touchdown here. So that's one where people look at, you know, you take the field goal there. Um, you don't get the touchdown that you ended up getting. It's either this one or, or the one of the other ones. But one of those, they, they got a touchdown instead of a field goal. Then we've got the one that came out as our third best call, which was early fourth quarter, fourth and one on the Kansas City 11. Decides to go for it. That's 6.6% increase. They converted this. Ended up being the Joshua Kelly fumble at the goal line. Um, but they got the interception. Which a lot of people, by the way, later. a lot of people grouped that with fourth down failures. The Joshua Kelly fumble yeah. at the goal line was not a fourth down failure. It was second down, I think. Second or third, which I don't know why they have their third string running back in for that anyway. I, uh, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter who were blaming that fumble on analytics. And uh, that seems a little weird to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> to run the ball. I think it was uh, second and goal from the one or the two. And to, to run the ball, I don't think don't think that's an analytics thing. But, oh, well, people people will, will complain about anything. But, yeah, that was when they ended up getting the ball back and scoring a touchdown a couple of plays later. Obviously, you can't count on that. But it's what happens when you put teams in situations and make them uncomfortable in, in, you know, in their own end zone, basically. So those were good decisions. Um, and... It's just it's it's interesting to see the way people are talking about about this, where, you know, if they get these fourth down calls, if they convert three of the five, you know, no one's and they win. No one's really talking about it. But the other thing that kind of bothers me is where you have people saying if they take those field goals, one, they're not guaranteed. It was one was from the 33 yard line. It's a 51 yarder. Um, you know, if there's anything we've learned from the history of the Los Angeles Chargers, <laughs> it's the field goals are completely guaranteed. Yeah, and I think their kicker is Dustin Hopkins, who's been cut from two teams so far this year, if I'm yeah. correct. Um, but the other thing is saying if they take those field goals, they make them, they've got six more points, they win the game, they don't go to overtime. That game is not complete, not played out the exact same way if they have six more points. It's not like, oh, they win 36 to 30 or whatever it was going into overtime. Kansas City um, starts their next drive 20 yards further down the field after a kickoff than they do if they're stuck in their own Yeah. End. And the play calling is different if they're down 14 instead of eight, you know, throughout that, that half knowing it's two touchdowns. We know what they can do when they're aggressive. We saw it at the end of the game. They were able, you know, to get down and tie it up. So the, the, the argument that, you know, those six points cost them the game in a way, I guess you could say it did. But at the same time, like I said, one of those, they converted the fourth down and got a touchdown where they could have just taken the field goal and they would have had four less points. Um, if they'd have made the field goal. So a lot of, I think, flawed arguments and I don't, you know, we we don't ever, you know, analytics or we try, there are people that do, but try not to say, you know, this is the definitive guide you have to go for. Like we understand, too, that it's a tool to be used where there are things that coaches see within the game. That's like, OK, you know, so coaches like Harbaugh and Reed will admit, you know, I had the numbers that said this, but my gut said this, um, you know, from being in those experiences in games so many times, you kind of get that feel for different things. So it's not perfect, but when you've got when you've got ones like this on a fourth and one or fourth and two, it just, it makes sense to go for it. Um, and, and Brandon Staley should be um, applauded more so than criticized just because 
the result wasn't the the ideal result. So a lot from that game. We did have one of our most impactful plays here too was the long catch and run for Travis Kelsey, the 69 yarder down to the one uh, was a 21.4% increase in win probability on third and five. I'm pretty sure that was the one that set up the touchdown, the two point conversion that tied it uh, and yep. sent that into overtime. So, I mean, only two field goals in this one, I think, uh, to both for the Chiefs, one punt for each team. Um, it's a fun game to watch. You know, as a fan, that's what you want to see is, is teams going for it. But when it doesn't work, uh, you get a lot of criticism. And I don't, I don't think it's ever – it might be a while for this one to go away, especially if the Chargers miss the playoffs by a game or whatever it is. The, the, this one is going to stick around for a while. No, I understand. Don't forget, by the way, Ian's got updated coach rankings coming on Wednesday. I know it's weird the next couple of weeks with the holidays, but Wednesday is still a good time to watch stuff. So watch for the updated coach rankings video on Wednesday. Uh, so that was one of the most impactful plays. Let's talk about the five most impactful plays. These are the plays that had the most impact on the game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. Yeah, so number five uh, coming up here was from Denver, uh, Broncos and Bengals. Broncos had second and nine, excuse me, at the our second and goal at the Cincinnati nine, looking to take the lead. They're down five at this point. Uh, Drew Locke has hit. He fumbles, recovered by Cincinnati. Originally, I think Cincinnati fumbled. It was recovered by Denver. Kind of a crazy play. Uh, the play-by-play -play was a little, little funky looking. Uh, yes, after because review, originally it, it was a double, right. Originally, it was a double yeah. fumble. Originally, the Bengals defender was ruled to have fumbled the ball back to, uh, to Denver, but then they overturned that. Yeah. So ended up, you know, that would have been, well, it wouldn't have been as big of an impact. It still would have give, uh, given Detroit or Detroit Denver a first down instead of a third down, but it, the way it turned out uh, pretty much it eliminated their scoring opportunity, given Cincinnati the ball uh, at their own 11. And, and there was no more scoring in this one. I'm pretty sure this was the, the final score, 15 to 10, kind of a weird game. A lot of field goals, uh, defense, um, Drew Locke as in this play ended up coming in, uh, kind of had that scary Drew situation with Teddy Bridgewater. So I, I'm assuming he will be back for probably the rest of the year, at least the way it's the way it looks. I haven't really seen any reports, but didn't look no, great. The way Bridgewater looked with that injury, I, I in the playoff odds today, I assumed that Drew Locke was their quarterback for the next uh, yep. next three. So hopefully he's okay. So like you said, just didn't, didn't look great, but – um, rough play for Julak. Hopefully he kind of get, gets it going for them moving forward. Uh, but Cincinnati comes away with the ball there. Number four is the play we just talked about, Travis Kelsey's uh, catch and run down to the one-yard line, 21.4%, just beating out that Cincinnati uh, fumble recovery. Number three was the pick six um, for the Jets. They were down seven at this point earlier, about midway through the fourth quarter. Uh, Eccles for the Jets, the rookie out of Kentucky, our home state here, Edge Sports, uh, with a big play to tie the game was a 22.3% decrease in win probability for the Dolphins. Obviously, 22.3% increase for you all out there for the Jets tying the game up there. Number two and number one come from the same game. Titans, Steelers, Titans. Ryan Tanhill kind of had a, a rough, rough go of it. The whole team did here, especially the fourth quarter, just Pittsburgh just – Turns it on. Like, I don't know what it is about them in the fourth Tannehill quarter. Tannehill is having a bad year, by the way. Tannehill is near the bottom of Football Outsiders passing DVOA. He's only above, like, the really bad rookies. Yeah. And he had, you know, a couple – yes, it was two years ago, had a very ultra-efficient season and 
seemed like there was yeah. no way he could keep it up. Did it again last year and come back down to, to earth this year. It's a, um, really struggling. But this this one, the number two was uh, their failed fourth down. So fourth and six at the 16, it looked like completed it. To me, it, pretty much everyone it looked like short of the 10-yard line. They needed to get about a half yard past the 10. Uh, they, they spotted it very well. Really good spot. Really good spot. Yeah. And then when they measured the really good spot, it was still short. Yeah. And it even it it looked like it almost could have gone either way. But yeah, they, with a good spot. Can't imagine if that was ruled a first down that they wouldn't have reviewed that and overturned that because it I don't even think the ball got to the 10 yard line. But failing, obviously, this was at the very end of the game. There was only 27 seconds left uh, with the, the Titans down six. So that cost them the game, taking them from 27.4 down to zero. And then number one was uh, Tannehill's pass being intercepted. It was third and three at the Pittsburgh 42. Yeah, there's an error here, game. by the way. Intercepted by Joe Schobert. Dontrell Hilliard was actually the intended receiver on the play. Ah, correct. Yeah. Joe um, Schobert is the name of the defender who intercepted the pass. Yep. Didn't catch that. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, Tennessee driving down to either get a go ahead field goal, perhaps convert a first down here, get a, a, a touchdown, you know, in a tie game. About nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. But intercepted, obviously, a huge blow to their chances. They were Tennessee was actually at 59.3% chance to win prior to this play. Drops them down 30% on the dot to 29.3. As we know, the Steelers went on to win this game with a couple more field goals. Um, the one you love, Aaron, I know a field goal to go from a three-point game to a six-point game. One score. I love score, the but... field goal that goes from three to six. The Steelers got away with it this time. Although, I mean – it was hard to argue with it because it was like fourth and seven or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they got away with it. And uh, this one, the most impactful play, courtesy of uh, Joe Schobert, like you said. Yes. If only Joe Schobert had gone to the University of Hawaii, he would be Rainbow Schobert. <laughs> All right. Don't forget a reminder to everybody to please subscribe subscribe to the live stream on your favorite app and uh, on your podcast apps if you're listening to us after the fact on the football outsiders podcast network please don't forget to subscribe to all the football outsiders shows all right let's uh, put up the graphic for the best coaching decisions even though we've covered almost all of them already yeah the best we've covered um Number the best, five best was, decisions, three, three of these come from the Chargers-Chiefs game. So those have been covered already. Yeah, number five uh, was the, the Chargers. The fourth and one at the 33 was a a 4.1% increase. Number four comes from Dolphins-Jets. This was when the Dolphins were down 17-7 to before they scored uh, 17 straight to go up 24-17. This was kind of the start of that fourth and one at the Jets' 39 instead of passing on a very long field goal, 57-yarder there, or instead of attempting a 57-yarder or even punting, like we see some coaches do in this situation because they don't want to go for it, chooses to go for it. And Duke Johnson, who comes out of nowhere for the, to have a, a huge game um, in this one, I think over 100 rushing yards, a couple touchdowns, picks up six. Going for it, though, increased their pre-snap win probability by 4.6%. And then the conversion took them up about four more percent, up to 53, making them a slight favorites in that situation, even though they're down 10. And that's something we've a question someone kind of a side note has pointed out, like how how can you have a team? These are wrong. The, the team is favored and they're losing it just because, because they're, they're losing. The better team. Favorite. They, yeah, can, they were pretty they're high. They're a better team the rest of the way. They're 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 better team. Absolutely. Big pregame favorites there. So uh, that was a big one. And they went on to score a touchdown again. Uh, mentioned started that comeback for them to get the win. 
Number three, again, is from Chargers Chiefs, fourth and one at the Kansas City 11. It's a 6.6% increase in pre-snap win probability for the Chargers. They did pick up that first down there. The Buccaneers against the Saints, fourth and one at the New Orleans 36. We covered this one as well. Uh, this was incomplete. Uh, they did not convert, but it was a 6.7% increase in win probability for the Buccaneers. And then Andy Reid, again, with the number one best fourth down decision of the week, fourth and one at the Chargers, two. Uh, was an 8.3% increase in win probability. Should have had the touchdown there, but Mahomes uh, wasn't able to make the pass, but they came out on top in the end. All right, now let's uh, – here's another one where we've gone through them all already, but let's put up the graphic real quick, which is the uh, worst decisions of the week, which uh, are almost all from the same game. <laughs> yep. Like I said, These we went through all, – all, So it's almost all from Buccaneers and Saints. Yeah, we've covered all five of these. Um, the first one, um, Bucks Saints, uh, was a 3.4 for Bruce Arians. That was fourth and two at his own 30. Number four was a 3.7% error, fourth and two at his own 33. Number three was Bill Belichick's uh, fourth and goal field goal uh, with nine minutes left down 13 was 3.9. And then uh, Bruce Arians again, fourth and six, which, like you said, Aaron, really should be judged at the fourth and one. Um, at their at their own 41 with 12 minutes left it was a 4.3% error. And then Dennis Allen coaching the Saints this weekend, fourth and two at his own 22. We've gotten some pushback on this one. It's a 5%. You know, they're, they're above 50% either way. It's still a close game, almost a 50-50 game. So going for it is a little bit better in that situation with a fourth and two. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, a 5% error there uh, based on our, our model's calculations. How much money you are paying Taysom Hill to be able to convert fourth and twos? Like a lot of money. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, don't forget, you can find all these and more over at edgesports.com's top five editorial section. So look for that. All right, let's talk a little bit about our Monday Night Football doubleheader. Two games starting at five. Uh, let's talk first about about the re- yeah. Let's let's go in order. Let's talk about the Raiders and Browns rescheduled game, featuring the COVID decimated Browns, who will be starting Nick Mullins in this game, and will be without heaven, uh, head coach Kevin Stefanski in this game. Will be without a number of members of their secondary offensive line. Uh, like a lot of players are absent for them, and so the line has moved to Raiders minus three because of Nick Mullins, who's their third string quarterback, starting. Mullins has an interesting career. He had really good numbers in San Francisco, and then he played for Philadelphia a little bit and was horrendous. Yeah, we um, you mentioned this was minus three. Start off at minus one and a half, obviously, with everything going on here. Um, still working through who's playing, who's not, to get these numbers updated. Um, so we actually oh, hold on. Todd Singer says Raiders are also down their head coach. Is Basucci is not in this game? Uh, or are you talking about John Gruden? Because John Gruden is at this point their head coach is Pasucci. So is he? Yeah, I haven't. Coach? I oh, have he not Gruden. heard that yet. No, he, he means Gruden. Pasucci's still there. Pasucci's still there. Oh, okay. I was going to say, they. Uh, I know he's. I haven't heard that yet, but I know Stefanski, there's a chance he, he might not he, coach. There's I not a chance. Seen. He won't be there. He's, he's out. He will not be there. Okay. Hadn't seen that yet. So yeah, we're still, still working on getting everything updated um, on that with Mullins and the, the, the various people who are out. Um, so we, we still, looks like we haven't gotten that updated yet. 
Um, but we will have that information updated probably here soon. I think by two o'clock, we'll know who's on and off. I have the projected um, line here as basically the same as the actual line minus three. I would not want to bet this at all. Yeah, we, I wouldn't want to take a chance. You mentioned Nick Mullins or that game. He came in was against the Raiders. I don't know if you said that, but I remember um, his big game, his debut, I think for San Francisco was against Las Vegas um, or they might've been uh, Oakland at that time. It's been a few years. Yeah. So It'll be interesting. I know I'm, and Todd Singer mentions the, the likes the Browns because they're running game. I know as far as fantasy, uh, I need Nick Chubb to have a big game. So hopefully they just lean on Chubb and give him about 30 carries. I'm sure a lot of people are, are relying on on him. But um, it'll Probably be interesting to see. I'm, I'm with you. Wyatt, Wyatt, Teller, Wyatt Teller COVID uh, list. Mm-hmm. Jedrick Wills COVID list. Yeah, so that's, so that's two of their five offensive linemen. And, of course, there's no – uh, Conklin anymore. He's out for the year. Yep. Going to be tough, but count, counting on him. But like you said, it, I, I wouldn't really want to want to try and figure out what's going on in this Here's one. It's just so hard. Derek Carr over 246.5 yards. He has gone okay. over that in seven of the last eight games, and the Browns secondary is decimated by COVID. So if you're going to put some money on this game, I would go Derek Carr over on passing yeah, I think it was it I saw, if I remember correctly, or if I saw it, I saw I had a bunch of notifications coming in this morning, but I think John Johnson was the only one that came off the COVID came list yep. for, for Cleveland. So are without, they are still without Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit, and Troy Hill. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting I game. A lot of names Newsom, unfamiliar. I believe they're without Greg Newsom for a non-COVID injury. Okay. Going to be a rough day for even with it being moved. I know there was hope that they could get Mayfield or Keenum back, but as, as we've said, that's not going to happen. So going to be a tough day at the office for the Browns, but stranger things have happened, uh, as we saw with Detroit beating Arizona yesterday. So a little bit different. These are not starters, but still. Yeah. Uh, now the actual Monday night football game, which is actually Monday night football as opposed to um, yep. Monday late Maybe. afternoon football. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings need a win on the road to keep their playoff hopes alive. Um, big difference in DVOA in this game. DVOA, Minnesota has been better than their record all year long, 12th in DVOA. Chicago, 25th. Uh, line is Vikings minus six right now. Yeah, we've got this one actually a little bit closer. Um, or not a little, we've got it three points closer at Chicago plus three instead of plus six. So we like Chicago a little bit better. I'm not honestly not exactly sure where I that's think, coming from. I've, this is where we disagree in part because of home field advantage and how much mm-hmm. we're counting home field advantage. Because I would go with Vikings by a little bit, like Vikings minus seven. Yeah, I think you're right. We would be closer if, if Minnesota was the home team. Um, based on you know what we gave or just without that in there i think it would be closer to five or six uh as well but the way it is now with the six point spread we've got uh chicago about 58 percent chance to cover so not really overwhelming but a decent shot um you know i've gotten burned on this a couple times this year kind of looking at it miami and baltimore was one where i said there's no way miami covers this and and they absolutely crushed him. So we'll see, say, but I would the, side with you. The reason I would shy away from putting any money on the Vikings is they've played so many close games this year, and it's like you really trust them to cover a spread of any kind. I mean, they did against Pittsburgh. Right. Even that came down to the end. 
even that came down to the last minute. So, you know, I think this is another one I would stay away from betting. Yeah. We might have, uh, other than the home field advantage, you might have the playing Minnesota advantage where every game comes down to three points. That might be what our three points spread is in this one. But looking at the total, um, it, it's sitting in the market at uh, 45 and a half. Um, we're a little bit higher, not a ton of value there. Looking, at, We're at 47 for our fair value total. So to go over 45 points, we've got it at just under 56%. So a little bit, but not a not a ton of, of value to be seen. Sometimes we see that up in the mid 60s. Um, looking you, at the you public value, value, just with the VIG. What's that? You would lose that 56% value just with the VIG. Oh yeah, yeah. So we're again a point and a half off. There's really not a ton a ton of difference. Um, looking at the public betting, it's pretty much split. 52% of the money right now is on Minnesota. Uh, but 60 airs of the bets, I'm sorry, but 68% of the money is on Minnesota. So it seems like, you know, some of those bigger bets, sharps are a little bit heavier on Minnesota. Um, kind of you and I both agreed, aside from the edge model, I think it would be closer to Minnesota being about six or seven um, to, to betting them and seeing them as a stronger favorite, aside from the Minnesota effect with being close games. But yeah, most of the the public kind of retail is pretty split, but the Overall, the money a, a lot more, almost two thirds are on on Minnesota. So pretty strong there the on NFL's, the home team. Once again, the NFL's insistence on feeding us as much Chicago Bears in prime time as humanly yeah. possible continues with more Chicago Bears in prime time, just all the time. Yeah, I all think right. they they must have scheduled it thinking Justin Fields was going to end up being a lot better than what he has been. And, and no, it's, team, honestly, it has. But, it, it's because Chicago is the number three media market in the country. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, that does it for our show. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Ian, as always, for joining me on a Monday. A reminder to subscribe: footballoutsiders.com. Limited time offer: ninety-nine cents a week for FO Plus. Go to footballoutsiders.com/slash-subscribe. Get all of our advanced stats, splits, fantasy research data, picks against the spread, and more. Uh, subscribe to this show on your favorite app, and make sure you're here every day at one o'clock. Uh, tomorrow, Scott Spratt will be here with Derek Klassen to talk fantasy playoffs. And I will be back on Wednesday at one o'clock with Mike Tanier and I believe JP Acosta and possibly Tom Gower. And we'll take lots and lots of questions from readers. So everybody enjoy your Monday night football doubleheader and come back tomorrow at one o'clock and I will see you at Wednesday. Bye-bye.